You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Welcome into Packers Total Access, guys. It is draft week here on this Tuesday afternoon, and I thought we would change things up for this episode. We're not going to do a history segment. Actually, we we will do a history segment. Here it is. The Green Bay Packers are the greatest sports franchise in the history of all sports. There's your history segment for the day. But we're going to take a a brief break from that segment, and we're going to dive into some of the rumors going around the mill here when it comes to the NFL draft. Guys, the draft is two days away. So I thought, why not just take this episode, I'm going to touch on a, uh, a listener question, we're going to hit draft week rumors, right, which is basically, we've actually got a little bit of a stir here in the last 24, 48 hours, we're going to talk about the potential Darren Waller trade, if you're hearing my voice, you probably already heard that Cheesehead TV, to the best of my knowledge, broke the news that Darren Waller may be traded to the Green Bay Packers, and and it was mentioned that he was one of the players that the Packers were interested in trading Tay for, although some rules seem to have prohibited that from happening, uh, seeing that Tay had not signed his franchise tag at the time. Um, Don't know all the details there as far as the rules and stipulations when it comes to trading a tagged player or someone who has not yet tagged the player, or not yet signed the tender, I should say, but... Um, I want to kind of look at the Darren Waller side in a sense of, okay, what if the Packers do trade for him? When will it happen, right? And is it worth uh, bringing Darren Waller onto the Green Bay Packers? We're also going to hit on George Pickens. You know, George Pickens is a wide receiver in this year's draft. Uh, got a ton of talent. He's been linked to the Packers. Well, all of a sudden, he is now beginning to fall. You know, I mentioned on uh, Sunday's episode that this happens every single year, right? Every year, somebody either does something stupid and they start to drop, or for whatever reason, these reports come out and a player begins to fall on boards, okay? So um, Pickens has kind of fallen victim victim to that a little bit. I'm going to kind of give you the best the best inside information that I have on why he is falling, and we're going to kind of hit on that a little bit. Then also, we're going to take a look at the horizontal board. Now that pretty much the majority of the visits are now complete, I'm going to talk about some of the players that the Packers uh, set up visits with, whether it was chatting with them in an interview at the Combine, having them fly into Green Bay, having them do a virtual meeting, what have you. Um, I have now got them labeled on the horizontal board, and we can begin to look and see, okay, where do these players stack up in a sense of will the Packers take them, and if they do, where will they be taken? And kind of give us a little bit of a roadmap for Thursday night and look at it from a broader perspective of, okay, what players rank the highest, where do we pick, have they had a visit, who do we think the Packers really have their eye on there with the uh, with those two first-round picks if indeed they do not trade out of those picks, whether it's up or down? That's kind of a crapshoot. I think the Packers could trade up. I think they could trade back. They may stay put. I think it all depends on how the board falls. And as far as Darren Waller, I think um, that all comes into play as well. All right, first things first. We have a listener question that DM'd me on Twitter. Sam on Twitter reached out and asked, Hey, Clayton, love the show, especially the history segment. It's funny, we're not doing a history segment for this show, so I, I may have really dropped the ball here. <laughs> but he says, hey, Clayton, love the show, especially the history segment. Quick question. In the past, you've mentioned several times that a player was not an elite position. And he put in quotations, elite position. I may have misunderstood you, but what do you mean by that? Keep up the great work. First of all, Sam, thanks for listening, dude. Appreciate your time. And thanks for reaching out with a question. It's so cool to see people respond to this stuff because um, this is the backbone of what we do. Um, We want to engage with listeners. We want to answer these kind of questions. And hopefully we can do it in a rapid fashion where it doesn't occupy a whole lot of time on the show so you guys continue to get the content that you've been enjoying. But, again, thanks for reaching out. Now, I believe what you're asking is uh, in in several different shows I've mentioned that's not an elite position. I wouldn't focus on that because that's not an elite position. That player doesn't play an elite position. In my opinion, 
and there's a lot of football minds in the past that, that kind of feel the same way. I, I didn't drum this up in my basement and come up with the formula of what I believe are elite positions, okay? These are things that I've read in books, um, you know, over the years as far as football goes. And just kind of listening to talking heads uh, kind of hit on uh, what they feel like are the most important aspects of roster building, okay? So there's only three elite positions in my opinion, okay? Um, and this is kind of the consensus uh, around the uh, – front office world of the NFL to the best of my knowledge. And here's another thing, guys. When I mention stuff like this, you may disagree or you may have another source and say, oh, so-and-so who was a general manager or front office executive for, you know, 12 years says that he feels like this, you know, uh, you know, might be the case, whatever the topic is. And it draws a little bit of contrast with my opinion. Please, please, please share that stuff. We've never arrived. I'm always looking to learn and be informed on how the game's changing and coming along. But nonetheless, elite positions, there's only three. That's quarterback, left tackle, and edge. And most of the time, the reason I mention those positions is because those positions are, uh, they should be the 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 strongest part of your roster. It's no coincidence that when you look around the league at the best teams in the league, those positions are always strong, right? Let's take the LA Rams, for example. They just won the Super Bowl. Okay, they made it to the Super Bowl a couple years ago. They've always competed, right? And when you look at their team, what changed this year? What changed this past season that got them over the hump? They traded for Matthew Stafford. Lo and behold, boom, Super Bowl victory. Now, I'm not saying Matt Stafford's a game-breaker, but just that improvement at the quarterback position got them over the hump. Okay, let's look at another uh, another key player on their team. Let's look at the elite position. Quarterback Matt Stafford, right? Left tackle, Whitworth, right? Whitworth just retired to the best of my knowledge. Solid left tackle. You know, just won uh, Walter Payton Man of the Year. Absolute leader on the team. Arguably the third or fourth most important person on that entire roster. An elite position, okay? Let's go to the third and final elite position. Edge defender. Who was the big you know acquisition that they made this year? They went out and traded for Von Miller. Von Miller's now in Buffalo. He broke the bank, got the bag. That's awesome for him. But again, the Rams go out and get an edge defender in Von Miller who played lots out in the playoffs. No one can argue that. You look at it and say, okay, the Buffalo Bills might have made a mistake because of his age. He's playing good now, but you know how's that going to affect him two or three years from now? I'm talking about elite positions being a difference maker when it comes to building a football team. And I'm telling you guys, that was the difference for the Rams this year. They went out and got an even better quarterback, a much better quarterback, actually. They had an, a, a great left tackle, which is another elite position, and they traded for Von Miller. That got them over the hump in a Super Bowl victory. So that's what I mean by that. Now, to expand on it just a little bit more, and then we'll move on to the next topic. Um, I also feel like there's a Tier 2 and then there's everybody else. So elite positions, tier one, quarterback, left tackle, edge. Okay, um, Tier two, center, defensive tackle, middle linebacker, free safety, and corner. I feel like those positions come in line next. Now, again, look at the Rams and their Super Bowl victory. Who do they have at defensive tackle? The best player in the entire, in, in the entire league on the defensive side of the ball, in my opinion. And that's Aaron Donald, right? Um now, look at what they did this offseason. You know, they went and got Bobby Wagner. I don't think Bobby Wagner is the same player he used to be. However, they went and got a middle linebacker. Okay, who do they have at corner? They have Jalen Ramsey. See what I'm saying? So, that's, I just feel like that second tier really rounds your, your starting lineup out, off really, really well. Right, so um, I think it's just worth mentioning that tier two because I think those are very important. And the reason I picked those players, obviously, the cornerback can shut down a number one wide receiver that directly affects the quarterback, which is an elite position. Okay, <clears throat> the center touches the ball every single play on offense. He touches the ball every single play, same as the quarterback. I feel like that's a tier two position. Defensive tackle is right in the heart of your defense. He's the closest person to the center, the closest person to the ball. Depending on what technique you're playing, you might have a an odd front where you know the nose tackle is actually playing a, a three technique, and the 
and the uh, you know the secondary defensive tackle there, whether you're playing a base or a nickel, uh, might be playing a one technique, and he's closer to the ball. For, but 90% of the time, your defensive tackle, your nose tackle, is going to be closest to the ball, and he's in the center of the field using the out-of-bounds lines as an extra, extra two defenders on the field. I've always looked at it that way. Next was middle linebacker, protecting the middle of the field, using the boundary as two extra defenders. And then safety, primarily free safety, playing center field, using the boundary as two extra defenders. So, hope that answered your question, Sam. Again, thanks for the feedback, man. Didn't mean to be long-winded, but I think it's important to kind of outline exactly what I mean by that stuff. And that's why it's important in the draft, guys. When I did my mock draft episode, if you guys remember, we were willing to go down one tier to get an elite position, right? And it just so happens that edge defenders are, are, are a plenty in this this draft, especially there in the first half of the first round. So there was no reason to have to go one tier. But we did go one tier down two different times to get what well, we get a quarterback. We did it to get Malik Willis with a team that was currently picking. I believe it was the Lions. And then we did it to get Kenny Pickett, who is in tier two. And at the time, there were no tier one players. So we were willing to reach one tier for an elite position. I think that's really going to come into play um, in this year's draft, just like it does every single year. All right, next segment, guys. We're going to get in some draft week rumors. We're coming right down to the wire. We're two days from the draft. There's a couple of different uh, rumors that are really directly affecting the Green Bay Packers, and, and this is not my strong point, okay, so bear with me. I really don't like to talk about rumors. I think that 90% of this stuff ends up being false. I think a lot of, in a, a lot of cases a player will fall and it was unjust. I like to look at it from a uh, – I'm kind of a Greg Cosell disciple. When they ask Greg Cosell, what do you think of this player? Well, you know, he's down to this level. He says, I don't want to talk about where they where they should be. All I look at is the tape. I don't buy into any kind of uh, false narratives or, or, or even if they're true, I'm not in the rumor business. This is what he always says. It's my job to grade the tape, to look at what did this guy do between the lines on the football field, how does he play. That's what's going to determine how I uh, you know, I evaluate him and, and I put nothing else into it. Okay. And, and I really respect that because, you know, it's easy to sit back and, and from our, you know, couches and in our homes and say, you know what, this guy doesn't deserve to be picked. Who are we to judge other people? Right. However, it's going to directly affect how the draft falls. It's inevitable. It happens every single year. Someone falls right? And it's something that I think we need to talk about if indeed it is a position that the Green Bay Packers have shown a lot of interest in drafting at this year. And uh, we're going to kind of get into that when we talk about draft visits and looking at the horizontal board. But um, first things first, okay? Let's jump into this Darren Waller trade talk, okay? It was broken yesterday by Cheesehead TV that Darren Waller was the player that at least one of, he may have been the only player, but he was at least one of the players that the Packers looked at acquiring in the Devontae Adams trade. Now, it's my understanding they could not do that because Tay hadn't signed his franchise tag yet. That was a real touchy uh, situation there. So they couldn't pull that off, right? They couldn't get Waller, and I believe it was against league rules if I understood correctly. So when we look at Darren Waller, you got to ask yourself, okay, what is it he brings to the table? And again, this is kind of Greg Cosell's approach. It's easy to look at him and say he's a tight end. That's yes, he plays tight end, absolutely. But what can he do within an offense? To me, he is not going to be that player that's a great, great run blocker, okay, first of all. Now, if he was lined up as a wide receiver, probably one of the better run blocking wide receivers in the entire league, okay? But at the tight end position, I don't look at Darren Waller as uh, an elite, you know, run blocker. So that's not a strength. Uh, he actually had a down year last year as far as PFF grades, okay? So in 2021, his overall grade was a 68.2. Now, that, you know, obviously not very appealing. When we look back to 2020, his overall grade was an 86.5. When we look back to 2019, an 83.2. So you're talking about a guy who's played in the, at an elite level, borderline elite level, most of his career, Okay, if you go to 2018, he was he was back down to a 70.4. So the progression was 70.4, 83.2, 86.5, and then last year stepped back to a 68.2. Now I think it's worth noting 
that he was only targeted 90 times last year, and it's my understanding he was injured for a good portion of the year. The year before, he was targeted 140 times. So he had 50 less targets and was probably on pace to finish right around that eight to 900-yard mark. Um, now, the previous year, he finished at 1,100. So something was definitely off there. When you hear that, you immediately think, okay, well, how old is this guy, right? Um, he was born in 92. He's 29 years old, okay? So when you look at his age, his best football is most likely behind him. Okay, so that's something to definitely take into consideration when you look at, you know, age and, and how he's performed up to this point. Um, again, big body, you know, big body tight end, 6'6", 255, has 4'4 speed. Um, he's a guy that if you know his story, man, it's it's really, really powerful. He's someone who battled drug addiction and that most most of the time you hear that and it raises a red flag, right? If you hear his story and the changes that he made, and, and it's obvious that that's behind him now, and the fact that he stayed clean in Las Vegas, that, I know it sounds silly, but that's just really, really impressive to me too. Um, I like the guy a lot from a personal standpoint. Again, he's getting older, so what are you willing to give up? I think what really comes into play when you ask that question is, okay, what's his current contract look like? Is he looking for a new contract? There's been no talk whatsoever that Darren Waller's looking for a new contract, okay, first of all, to the best of my knowledge. Let's look at the current contract. Okay, according to Spot Track, Darren Waller still has two years left on his contract, okay? In 2022, this upcoming year, his cap hit will be $6.8 million, okay? In 2023, it will be $7 million. Now, according to SpotTrack, okay, I'm no uh, cap guru. I'm just going off their website here. It's showing dead cap at $0 for both 2022 and 2023. I'm not sure if that's 100% accurate. However, it does show in 2021 the dead cap hit was $6 million. It shows the dead cap hit in 2020 as uh, 7.2 and 3.3 in 2019. So to the best of my knowledge, it's going to cost right at $7 million for the next two years. Okay, $7 million per year for the next two years. And you can get out of it at any point with no penalty. That's according to Spot Track here, if I'm reading this correctly. With that being said, is Darren Waller worth $7 million? Okay, obviously he's going to occupy that kind of cap until he's cut, if indeed they do decide, okay, let's trade for him, and then they said, oh, this was a disaster, we want to get out of it. That's not a goody, you know, type of thing to do. Do we have the cap space? Technically, yes. Um, given our current situation, I don't think it's ideal to take on $7 million. However, if you're getting the tight end from two years ago or from one year ago, grading out at a borderline elite PFF level grade, you know, then I say, yeah, it's worth it. Now, what's the compensation going to be? And when I say worth it, I mean it's worth it to bring that kind of a cap hit onto the Green Bay Packers with that kind of performance. Let's say he rebounds, he's completely healthy, and he falls right there in between. If he grades out, let's say, at a, a 78, I think that's worth it. And the reason I say that is, again, what we started with, what does Darren Waller do good? He's a great receiving tight end. He can be lined up, and this is something that John Gruden did, he can be lined up at the boundary X. He can play out wide. This kind of gives us that receiver that we're looking for opposite Alan Lazard. Someone that you could bring into the game, and even though he's a tight end, defense will probably prep as if he's a wide receiver. You know, And what I mean by that is if you bring in Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb and Darren Waller, they probably won't treat that like a 12 personnel. They'll probably treat that as if it's a uh, you know uh, an 11 personnel. They'll look at him on the field as a wide receiver. Now, if you if they do that and they're playing light, you know, with a light box, let's say they have, you know, three corners and two safeties and only two linebackers, and Waller and Lazard can flex inside and run block, now your running game has an advantage over the defense. If they decide to go heavy, you can stretch the field with Waller. Okay, so there's a lot of things that are valuable in that sense. Um, I thought that was worth touching on. Again, this may be all wasted effort. The trade may not happen. But I do want to mention this. If indeed it does happen, I think it's more likely to happen on draft night. And the reason I say that is, what if the Packers and the Raiders already have a deal worked out and the Packers want to wait until draft night? 
Okay, no one else has showed interest in trading for Darren Waller as far as rumors go up to this point that I'm recording this podcast. Um, so with that being said, you wait until draft night. And the reason you wait till draft night, what if Garrett Wilson somehow falls to the Packers at 22? Then you would take Garrett Wilson and you probably wouldn't even look to trade for Waller. You've got the arguably the best wide receiver in the draft, right? It, it all depends on how the draft's going to unfold. And that's going to kind of lead me into this next segment here with Debo Samuels. With Debo, Debo Samuel, you know, there's there's trade rumors out there with him, right? And it sounds to me, and according to Vegas as well, I'm not a big gambler, but I do think it's important to look at the odds on things like this when they have these prop bets because, um, you know, there's a reason that Vegas can give away those fancy drinks with the pretty little umbrellas in them, right? They're making money and they understand odds, okay? The Jets are rumored to be wanting to give the 49ers the number 10 pick overall, okay, for Debo Samuel. Now, when you look at that trade, okay, why would the Jets not go ahead and pull the trigger on that? Well, it's really, really simple. Why would they tip their hand that they're trading the number 10 pick? It it only puts them at a disadvantage, okay? So, again, I think that if, if he is going to the Jets, an agreement has already been reached, and it's, hey, guys, let's see how this draft unfolds. Let's don't release this information. Now, Debo... Debo Samuel, and I don't know if you've seen the Miss Precious video. If not, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna waste this podcast talking a whole lot about it. But it's pretty comical to hear his stepmom recording a, a live. I believe it was an Instagram Instagram live uh, video, and Debo is actually in the background having a conversation with AJ Brown talking about how he doesn't even have a contract offer yet from the 49ers. And literally, he he even says out loud what AJ Brown, what they offered AJ Brown in Tennessee. I bet Tennessee's just tickled to death. I bet AJ Brown's tickled to death knowing that his what he thought was a private conversation was literally broadcast live, and now has reached millions of people um, because Debo Samuel's uh, stepmom, Miss Precious, decided to go live recording something else. And I, I just I don't understand people, man. I really don't. It's it's literally like. People don't have two brain cells to rub together. <laughs> it's it's unbelievable how how I'm trying not to be mean, but how stupid people can be. Like you you're broadcasting, you're airing all that out to everybody, and you don't even realize what you're doing. And it's another reason why personally I'm not interested in trading for Debo Samuel. Um if he's upset with the 49ers that he doesn't want to run the ball more because he's getting banged up, that takes that that avenue away from his value. Okay, that that devalues him, in my opinion. He yes, he's still a great wide receiver, absolutely. But look at some of the baggage that comes with it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they say he's a hard you know hard nosed player. He plays the game the right way. He was you know, a team leader, a quote unquote team leader. If he was a team leader, now all of a sudden he's just belling on his team. That's not that's not leadership traits. I'm sorry. Um, I don't think that the 49ers did anything um, to personally warrant him wanting out. As as much as I enjoy watching the 49ers kind of, you know, Waller and all this, right? Um, I, I just don't. I don't see it. I don't know, man. I, I, there's. I see that. I see the the Instagram live video. I see the. And from what I understand, she's a music industry manager, and she's also helping manage Debo Samuel. If your manager's making that, you know, that type of those type of decisions, um, not a good look. Just doesn't sound like there's a good core group of people around him, personally. So that's kind of how I look at that. But I think it's worth mentioning with Debo Samuel that the Jets most likely will not pull off that trade until draft night because they want to see how the board falls and they don't want to tip their hand with what they're going to do with that number 10 pick as far as trading it. Um, who knows, maybe the, the best player on their board that they don't think they have a shot at at number 10 falls that far, then they may pull the plug on that trade. But one thing is for certain, the trades that take place on draft night, whether it's including a player or just pick for pick, these deals have already been worked out, guys. They don't have time. This isn't the movie draft day as much as I, I actually enjoyed that movie with Kevin Costner. Trades don't take place that quick. 
in a in a phone call while you've only got 10 minutes to make your pick. The foundation for these trades are already in place, and it's just all right, the final decisions being made on draft night. And I can only imagine the amount of time that's wasted amongst organizations having conversations and agreeing to trades, and then them not even going through because you know the board may have felt a little bit different um, when the draft does go live. So um, I thought it was worth mentioning because it kind of ties into the Darren Waller trade rumors. I feel like if it's going to happen, um, it's most likely going to happen on draft night simply because the Packers want to kind of see what their options are with their picks before they pull that trigger. But there's probably already a deal in place. Now, as far as compensation, and I'll wrap this segment up, um, I'm willing to give up. I would not tell them this, but I'm willing to give up a second-round pick for Darren Waller. I don't think there's anybody in this draft that we can slam dunk 100% say with one of our second-round picks that they'll be able to perform and contribute at Darren Waller's level. Now, I would not tell them that. I would approach them with, hey, we'll give you a third-round pick. And when they counter, if they counter with, no, we want a first-rounder for them, how about we meet in the middle of a second? I would be happy with that. So um, that's the Darren Waller tr- uh, uh, trade talk there. Um, I thought it was worth touching on. Again, none of this may even matter, but it's draft week, baby, and this stuff gets talked about constantly. You're going to hear more and more of this. As we get closer to the draft, there's going to be more and more rumors coming out. You know, 90% of them will be smoke screens, but still I think it's worth mentioning because if, if one or two of them are true, um, we're kind of informed on the front side to, to, to kind of know ahead of time, okay, this is how it may unfold. All right, carrying on our draft week rumor uh, theme here for today's episode. Um, we're going to jump into George Pickens. George Pickens, as you guys know, um, Greg Cosell, <clears throat> the guy I trust the most when it comes to breaking down prospects, he looked at the film and he absolutely loved George Pickens. But again, the emphasis, and, and the guy actually said, well, you know, there's been some injury concerns, and he cut him off, and, and Greg was like, listen, I'm not talking about injuries. That's not my field of expertise. It's not my place to judge a player by how they've been hurt. I'll strictly look at the tape and say, what they can and cannot do, and try to create some kind of value in that regard. But he's not in the in the business of, of dragging people down with reputation or injuries or anything like that. He, he strictly looks at the tape on the field. On the field, George Pickens is a beast, okay? George Pickens has everything it seems that you need for a wide receiver to be a number one wide receiver in due time at the NFL level. With that being said, there is baggage that comes with him, according to most recent reports. And this is as, as recent as 15 hours ago, okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to talk about, I'm going to give you three examples here, and this comes from uh, the patspulpit.com. I like to kind of keep my, my finger on the pulse around the league because you get good information from other sites, um, even though it's not a Packer website. I like to follow the New England Patriots because I love how their organization operates. Obviously, you can't argue with the success they had. Everybody said, oh, it was just Tom Brady. It was just Tom Brady. Man, the stuff that Belichick had to deal with the year that Brady left, you know, I, he I think he had the most COVID opt-outs of any team in the entire league. And And what did he do? He didn't panic. He stepped back. I think they ate a $15 million cap hit by just simply letting Brady do what he wanted to do and leave. I thought that was very respectful of them, both Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick, to say, you know what, he's earned the right to go where he wants. We're going to eat that. We're going to suck for a year, and we'll be back next year. And what did they do? The very next year, made a splash in free agency, completely rebounded, drafted their new franchise quarterback, who just so happened to grade out as the highest rookie quarterback, even though he was taken much further down in the first round than the other quarterbacks. Um, I just respect everything about how that that organization operates. Now, someone might be listening to go, yeah, but they cheat. Hey, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. I'm sorry. If you think that Bill Belichick's the only uh, the only you know coach or leader of a coaching staff or organization to have um, his people at his facility and other facilities try to record practices, you might not want to dig too deep into the Green Bay Packers because they got accused of it as well. It's common knowledge that stuff happened all over the league. It just so happened that the team that was winning the most, um, they they kind of got the light shined on them and, and proven to be an example or, or used as an example to kind of cut that down in the league. So with that being said, um, I respect that organization. This comes from a website that I kind of follow, and this is what we have with George Pickens. 
The reason George Pickens is falling is <clears throat> information is now beginning to come out, quote-unquote, big red flags. And I'm not going to bore you with the entire article. You can Google search it and find it yourself and look into it. But I just want to read three key points. This is what it says on the side. It says, one NFL scout and two wide receiver coaches shared their thoughts on Pickens. And while they praised his talent, they also raised some concerns. <clears throat> now, I mention that because this, these aren't the only three reports. So don't just say all three guys just wanted to get their name. Well, first of all, they didn't mention their names, so it's not that. Either this website's completely lying about all the other reports or there's some legitimacy to this. So scout number two said, George Pickens, there's a lot of upside, but he can't get out of his own way. He's been enabled his his whole life. So they're kind of painting this picture that this guy expects everybody to give him everything. He, he's not had to work for much, although I'm sure he's put in work to get to the – obviously he had to put in a certain level of work to get to where you're at, but he just he's an enabled human being, um, someone who's uh, he's been enabled his whole life. He can't get out of his own way is what the scout's saying. Wide receiver coach three said, Pickens, you love his game. Remember what Greg Cosell said, right? The tape was phenomenal. You love his game, but there's some issues. Do you want to work with him? Question mark. He's a top six talent-wise, but it's impossible not to add the other things. He has the size. He has really good range. He positions his body body on deep throws. He consistently beats press coverage. He has good start stops with some AI, and in parentheses they put Allen Iverson, crossover in his game. As they're describing this, it kind of makes me think of Greg Jennings, to be honest with you. You know, the way Greg Jennings was so shifty, and he had that, that good crossover move he could he could make there after the slant. He also had really good body positioning. You've seen that in the Super Bowl. I don't know why, but that just kind of triggered to me that Greg Pickens, the scouting report kind of makes me think of Greg Jennings. It says he constantly beats press coverage. He has good start-stops with AI, with some AI, Allen Iverson, crossover in his game. A lot of stuff in Todd Monken's system translates to the NFL, but I wouldn't touch him. Think about what that wide receiver coach just said. He literally laid out a Hall of Fame resume <laughs> as far as what you're wanting in a wide receiver, right? But at the very end, he says, but I wouldn't touch him. Just saying. That's, I think it's worth mentioning. Wide receiver coach five on Pickens. This is the last one. On tape, he's probably a top five wide receiver. Matches completely up with what the other guy said. But there's so many red flags, and they're big red flags. He's got a lot of growing up to do. Kind of goes back to the first comment, the first scout, about you know being enabled his whole life, right? He's got a lot of growing up to do. If he goes to the, the right place with a room full of veterans that help him go the right way, I think he'll have a chance. That just doesn't sound like a first-round pick to me, guys. It doesn't. Now, let's look at the board. On the board, I've got Pickens sitting in the number 40 spot. He graded out at a 44, okay? I think he's technically 45th on my board. But when you hear me say in the 40 spot, that means there's multiple players that tied with him on that level. He's worthy of the 40th pick, in my opinion, okay? So I have him graded outside of the first round. Some people have him creeping up into the first round. Um, He's sinking on boards now. And it sounds like as people have dug and gotten personal information on them, this has been the consensus across the board. Now, you got to kind of take that with a grain of salt if you have other people vouching for them. I just haven't seen anyone else vouching for them. I haven't seen people stepping up and saying, oh, no, these are all false reports. It's, a great, it's kind of like Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. I love Baker Mayfield. I love the watching, you know, watching him just play scrappy and the way he played at Oklahoma and, and that little bit of attitude and, and, and players, you know, kind of, they, 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 they kind of gravitate towards that in the locker room, especially at the college level. And that seemed to be how it was his first couple of years. And he performed off the charts. A lot of people were forgetting that two years ago, he was an elite quarterback. I mean, this guy was playing lots out. Okay. And then last year he takes a step back. I think it was mostly due to the injury, but then you start to see the grumblings coming out of the locker room that he's not a team player, he's not a leader. You see him on the sidelines. It, it really, the body language looks like he's blaming everyone else. It really, really does. And it, and it bothers me because I'm a big Baker Mayfield fan. So at the end of the day, now he's wanting to be traded out of there. Obviously, they went and got Deshaun Watson. And then you look at everything he said. He goes on a podcast, uh, I think a music podcast. For whatever reason, he felt like he needed to be involved in that. He goes on there and talks about, well, I've had multiple offensive coordinators. You know, Yeah, anybody... 
that's got two brain cells to rub together understands you've had a crappy situation with coaches changing. And, you know, you, you come in, you got uh, who was it, uh, Hugh as your first quarter or your first uh, head coach. Then you've got to deal with two new offensive coordinators. Then you got Stefanski coming in and all this. Yeah, we get that, Baker, but shut up. Nothing comes, nothing good comes out of you blaming everybody else. Like, that does nothing to help you. It just amazes me. It's like Miss Precious. <laughs> so silly saying that. Miss Precious. Like, step back. I had I had a seventh grade teacher tell me one time, and I use it to this day. My wife and I joke about it all the time. She said, hey, she called me Sweet Cheeks. Hey, Sweet Cheeks, let it bounce around a little bit. Let it bounce around. What do you mean? Before it comes flying out of your mouth, why don't you let it bounce around in that skull of yours for a little bit? Okay, and it just amazes me how many people, how few people, you know, do that. It's something that's helped me a lot in life, to be honest with you, especially in business. But um, when you look at Baker Mayfield, it's like, dude, nothing good came out of that. You could have already landed a spot, but now you've got this red flag up on you. And I, I say that because with George Pickens, no one's come up to vouch for him, to the best of my knowledge. And the same thing happened with Baker. No, none of his teammates are stepping up. None of them and saying, "Oh no, he's misunderstood, man. He's a great play. He's this and that." They seem to be gravitating toward Deshaun Watson, and that's a real bad sign with, with what that guy had to face the last couple of years. So, uh, with that being said, that's why George Pickens is falling. That's some of the big news today. I know we were chatting about it in the Discord chat there with uh, the Packernet Podcast group, and uh, that, to the best of my knowledge, that's why he's dropping. Is everything's kind of catching up with him? Um, <clears throat> one of two things are going to happen. I think either somebody's going to draft him high, it's going to feed feed into that ego even more, and he's probably going to end up being out of the league in a few years. Or he gets a little bit of humble pie, drops in the draft, get like like this guy said, if you if you land in a room full of veterans, that, that maybe they can help him go the right way. Um, maybe that happens, and he lands in a spot where he can come out, kind of um, you know revitalize his reputation, I guess you could say and come out a little bit better on the other side and be a great player. One thing's for sure, everyone agrees here that he has the talent to play at the next level. Unfortunately, everybody also agrees that he's too immature to play at the next level. All right, guys, for our final segment here on the show, I thought this would be really, really important to cover. Again, we're two days away from the draft. Most of the draft visits have been reported, to the best of my knowledge. So what I thought we would do is do one final run-through on the horizontal board, and hopefully you can hear me okay. I'm swiveled around here where I can see the horizontal board. And I want to list off the players and what spot they sit in that the Packers either met with at the combine and interview, had them up for a, a visit in Green Bay. Uh, may have, maybe they have done a virtual visit with them. You know, um, In some sense or another, they made the list that the Packers showed interest in them and interviewed them personally. Okay, so let's just go right down the line here. The the top player on the entire board, as far as where they grade out, um, that the Packers met with, and this actually happened at the Combine. I'm not going to give all the details of every visit, but I, I just know this one stood out to me big time because they didn't fly him up to Green Bay. I think that's important. Worth, it's important to mention. But quarterback Malik Willis, the Packers spent time with um, at the Combine, okay, he grades out in the 19 spot at a 17.5 on my horizontal board. Lower the number, the better. They're worthy of the 19th pick. But again, guys, remember what I said about elite positions. That's why I feel like he's worthy of being you know, someone reaching one tier down and trading for him. Or, uh, I'm sorry, drafting him. Um, that's why I had the Lions actually take him with the number two pick. I don't, I couldn't honestly say I think that's what's going to happen, but if I were the Lions building a team and this is how their board sits exactly like mine, um, that's the pick I would have made. But anyway, number one, uh, visit with the Green Bay Packers or meeting, whatever you want to say. I'm just going to say visit to for time's sake. Quarterback Malik Willis in the number 19 spot. Number two on the list is Linderbaum. Um Interior offensive lineman, center, whatever you want to call him. He grades out of a 17.5. He sits in the number 20 spot on my horizontal board. The Packers met with him. And the number three spot, we've got Chris Olave, wide receiver. He sits in the number 22 slot, and he grades out of the 19.5. Up next, we've got defensive lineman Wyatt out of Georgia. He uh, grades out of the 22. He sits in the 25 spot on my horizontal board. The Packers met with him. 
Up next is a wide receiver, Traylon Burks, one of my draft crushes. I love everything the, the guy represents. See an interview with him, and he just seems like totally the opposite from a Pickens. Just a, a hard-nosed guy, someone who was raised right, a little bit of a rough upbringing. And uh, I really like Traylon Burks uh, a lot. That's one of the receivers that if they took him at 22, I would not be upset about that at all. Uh, anyway, he's in the 27 spot. The Packers met with him, and he also grades out as a 27 as well. Up next would be safety, Brisker. He grades out at a 36.5. He sits in the number 34 spot. The Packers met with him. Up next is, you guessed it, George Pickens, wide receiver. He sits in the 40 spot. He grades out at a 44. Now, <clears throat> I think it's worth mentioning that out of all those visits that I've mentioned so far, Pickens is the only one red in my board on my board as of right now. And the reason he's red is injury concerns. I have those names in red on my board to kind of throw me a quick flag of, hey, this guy has had recent injury concerns. Now, take into consideration the maturity issues and the quote-unquote being enabled that the scouts talked about and the wide receiver coach talked about. I don't know, man. Um, he, uh, I, I treat the board the same as Greg Cosell would. This board is set strictly up by what he shows on tape. Okay, this is the I think this is the caliber player he is. He's worthy of the 40th pick. Okay, but him being in red, if I look up in that same tier and I got someone within three points of him because he grades out as a 44, if I have someone that's a 47, right, or maybe even a, a 48, and they're not in the red, and I know they don't have these concerns about being mature and all that stuff, probably going with them over Pickens. That's why it's important to list those things on the board. I'm not going to penalize him on the board because it may be something that, hey, he's he's grading out at a 44 and the next is a 66. I'll probably take a flyer on Pickens. I'm either trading out or I'm taking him in that spot. But nonetheless, the Packers visited with wide receiver Pickens. Up next is edge defender Jackson out of USC. I think it's Drake Jackson is his name. He grades out at a 45.5. He sits in the 42 spot. That's a good example. If we come to pick... Um, let's say let's say it's the 53rd pick, and these are the two best players on the board. Pickens grades out of the 44. Jackson grades out of the 45.5. I'm taking Jackson's over Pickett. Pickens because Pickens has a red flag with injuries, has a red flag off the field as well. Jackson has no red flags whatsoever on my board. So that's a good example there of two players just to kind of draw a little comparison that are close to each other on the board. Up next, you got to go down to the number 53 slot. He grades out of the 60. And that is Christian Watson, wide receiver. The Packers met with him. Up next is one of my favorite players in this draft, offensive lineman Kennard out of Kentucky. You guys know I'm biased with my Kentucky Wildcats. He sits in the 55 spot. He grades out at a 61. Up next is defensive lineman Winfrey. Um, he grades out at a 62.5. He sits in the 57 spot. Up next is offensive tackle Lucas. He uh Grades out as a 67. He sits in the number 60 spot. Let's go down another tier to the next player is Salyer. He's an interior offensive lineman. He grades out as a 74. He sits in the 65 spot. Up next is Godecki, another interior offensive lineman. He sits in the 75 spot. He grades out as an 86. Up next is Dulcich. He's a tight end that I want to mention that Greg Cosell spoke very, very highly of someone you can flex out wide. Dulcich at tight end, uh, grades out of the 96. He sits in the 94, I'm sorry, he sits in the 80, looks like the 82 spot. My board's about mangled down here at the bottom. <laughs> um, up next, we got halfback Spiller. He grades out as a at a 100. Uh, next, we've got left tackle Walker, grades out as a, a 100.5. Then we've got interior offensive lineman Ingram at 104. Then we have edge defender Sam Williams at 110.5. And then we have Alex Wright at 165.5 um, there toward the bottom. Again, guys, those are all the players that the Packers, to the best of my knowledge, have set up visits with. Probably not the only players, but those are the players that I know for sure have either interviewed uh, in person, virtually, or took a visit to Green Bay and obviously is someone that Green Bay is looking to uh, potentially draft. Now, the reason I mention that 
is because now we have the horizontal board, which sets all expectations for these prospects. Now we have the prospects highlighted in red that have injury concerns or off-the-field concerns, right? We have the players circled with a green circle that the Packers have visited. So now we can look at the horizontal board and literally vertically go, what are the positions that the Green Bay Packers are showing the most interest in? When we look at the quarterback position, only one player. When we look at the wide receiver position, we have four players. Halfback, only one. Tight end, only one. Left tackle, we have three. Interior offensive lineman, we have four. Edge defender, we have three. Free safety, or just safety in general, we have one. Defensive line, we have two. With that being said, based off the interviewing process, and the time that they were willing to allocate to send someone or, or, or have a player flown in and actually sit down and invest very, very precious man hours into interviewing and talking to, the two positions that stick out the most are wide receiver and offensive line. Okay, And I say that because when you look at offensive line, and this is what we've talked about on this show. We kind of addressed it on Sunday's show with the, the listener that posted on Facebook that we're not talking about left tackle uh, this is so it's so untrue okay and the packers are looking the same exact way when you look at it that way you break it down to those two positions you have what one two three four wide receiver visits on my board here again it may not be the entire draft it's just what how far my board reaches which is about to 150 prospects you have four wide receivers you have one two three offensive tackles and you have four interior linemen so let's just say seven offensive linemen right? And four wide receivers. It's really, really obvious that the Green Bay Packers are going to be drafting multiple offensive linemen and most likely multiple wide receivers. So I think it's important to draw that, uh, you know, kind of outline for the draft because as we step into Thursday, you want a realistic expectation. Yes, they showed interest in edge defenders, three there, right? So, and defensive linemen too. My guess is Depending on the how the board falls, okay, they're most likely going to take multiple, probably at least two offensive linemen, one to two wide receivers, one to two edge rushers, and probably a defensive lineman, a safety, and maybe a halfback. That's kind of how I see it. Probably a tight end as well um, if, the, if the board falls just right. And, and I'll be honest with you, man, I've got Trey McBride um, rated – three tiers higher than the next tight end. He's hands down, in my opinion, the best tight end in this draft. He sits in the 52 spot. The Packers pick 53rd. I'm just saying. Um, let's say they trade for Darren Waller, and you line him up more as a wide receiver than you do a tight end to play that, that boundary position, right? You now stabilize that. You now have Alan Lazard, Darren Waller, Sammy Watkins to play outside. On the inside, you've got Randall Cobb, Amari Rogers, and you kind of put yourself in a position that you could draft a slot receiver if you wanted to. A lot of people are hearing that and going, no, we don't want no more slots. We don't want no more slots. If you got Darren Waller on the outside, you got Sammy Watkins with depth, you got Alan Lazard who has pretty much mastered the system. Um, if you get the, the very best slot receiver fall in your lap, you now have a solid receiving core across the board. That is if indeed they do trade for Darren Waller on draft night. Now, with that being said, if they don't trade for Waller, then you're obviously going to go for a boundary top wide receiver. You're going to go for someone who can play that boundary and uh, and and line up opposite Alan Lazard, maybe even start as a spell guy at the first of the season and work your way into a starting role if Sammy Watkins can, in the offseason program, pick up the, uh, pick up the offense as quick as we think he will. So I thought that would be worth mentioning. Guys, we're coming down a stretch. Um, again, I know there's no history segment today. I know it's not as rapid fire it normally is, but this is a very, very, very uh, rare time. You know, this only happens, not rare, this only happens once a year, I guess you could say. So I thought we would take this episode, address some of the draft rumors that directly affect the Green Bay Packers, and that's with the Darren Waller situation, that's with George Pickens uh, possibly falling, um, the Debo Samuel stuff, and then we look at the board and say, okay, where are the visits? Um, it kind of paints a picture for us now. We've got multiple options, and I think it's a great place to be. You know, you've got a couple of a couple of potential trade targets. 
in Waller and Samuel. I don't think Samuel is as realistic. Maybe they'll prove me wrong. Um, but potentially trading for Waller, and then who are we looking to draft? What positions are we looking to draft uh, on draft night if, indeed, the board falls this way? Now, again, the board may fall a different way, guys, and you know maybe maybe there's a run on everything and corners just go go stupid silly and one of these top tier tor- corners and either Stingley or Gardner is available um when we pick at 22 I, I see no chance of that happening but if it did I'd be totally cool with them taking a position that's not of need because it's an elite talent that's what we're here for you know that's why the Green Bay Packers have done so well I think it's also worth mentioning that when you break down the success of the Green Bay Packers drafting offensive linemen, guys, you cannot ignore the fact that after the third round, the Green Bay Packers have absolutely raked in the NFL draft. When you talk about people like Josh Sitton that they've picked up in the past, David Bakhtiari, TJ Lang, um, Scott Wells, all these great interior offensive linemen they drafted. It's almost like they wait until everyone wastes their picks. Not waste, but spend their picks on those early guys, and then they just clean up with interior offensive linemen late in the draft. Someone who I think is going to have a great year is John Runyon. John Runyon's another guy that uh, obviously John Runyon Jr. uh, being drafted a little bit later. I think he's going to kind of carry on that tradition. I think we're going to look up this year and be pleasantly surprised at the strides he made in the running game because we know he was a great pass blocker last year, to the best of my knowledge. If I remember correctly, he was a great pass blocker, struggled in the run blocking game. But with that being said, remember the players I just listed off. The majority of players that they visited is interior offensive linemen. So look for that to happen in day two. And again, Ryan's going to be bringing you all the coverage you need. He's going to be hanging out for you guys to interact in the chat. I think that's what I'm most excited about is we're going to have Jacob and other people kind of moderating the chat for the live draft party Thursday night. And we're going to be able to take your questions and field them as we're filling time. It's going to be just a, a great way for the Packernet podcast community to kind of come together and uh, and really just break bread, hang out. Um, we're going to be eating uh, eating some good food. I know some of the guys are doing some barbecue. I'm going to switch it up and go pizza. I haven't ate pizza since the football season ended. I'm getting a little bit older, man. i got to watch this weight, get it under control. But I'm splurging Thursday night. I'm going to feel hungover from pizza on Friday morning, I promise you that. So, um, yeah, with that being said, guys, that's the show. Um, it's going to be awesome Thursday night. Come hang out with us. Um, you may be sitting here going, eh, I don't bring anything to the table. Yeah, you do. Jump in the chat and, uh, and fire away your questions. Give us feedback. Make fun of us. We're going to, we're going to get a little bit wacky. We got some, some fun stuff in store. It's just, it's not going to be anything that's overly structured to the best of my knowledge. We're just going to be a bunch of dudes hanging out, talking draft and uh, and passing the time as these teams, we know they like to waste plenty of time while they're sitting on the clock. So we're hopefully going to make it go by a lot quicker for you. So, again, thanks for listening to the show. Appreciate your time, as always. You could be anywhere in the world right now listening to something else, and you're choosing to listen to us, and we don't take that lightly. So, um, as always, let's go out and be the change that we want to see in the world, and go Pack Go. It's draft week, baby.